You're listening to Steve Dace On Demand. Lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show live and on demand here on Blaze Media. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. We love to know what you think about what we think. You can email us. Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. For those of you that are listening later on today via the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, etc. The last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We got a jam-packed show today coming up a little bit later on. This week's edition of Fake News or Not. Also, Pop Culture Tuesday, we're going to continue, really, we're going to finish our series looking at the intersection of Christmas and culture and the origins, I think you might find some of this uh, information interesting, the origins of some of our favorite Christmas traditions. We'll be talking about that, today's truth bomb, the brave new world, modern science looks to forge for us as we continue towards the progressive utopia. We'll be talking about all that and more. Don't forget... After this, we've got a three-day year-end extravaganza as we wrap up our broadcast year for 2018. We're going to take a look back at the year that was the next three days here on Blaze Media with a special two-hour edition of the Dace Group Roundtable. We'll look at uh, the top stories of the year, our fakest fake news of the year, and more. You absolutely don't want to miss it. But before all of those zany hijinks ensue, we must get caught up on the events of the day. Here's what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by Everybody Calm Down About Kavanaugh. Brett Kavanaugh sided with the progressive wing of the Supreme Court when he agreed not to hear a case on whether or not states can block Medicaid funding to Planned Parenthood and other abortion providers. I'm glad he survived a character assassination, but so far, Kavanaugh is who we thought he was. Would you like to be chief of staff? French President Emmanuel Macron addressed his country in the midst of ongoing riots, saying those riots stem from 40 years of malaise. Uh Time magazine has named Jamal Khashoggi as their person of the year, along with other journalists. The U.S. Olympic Committee fired its chief of sports performance this week after an independent investigation found it concealed knowledge of accusations involving Larry Nassar. An elementary school principal in Omaha, Nebraska, banned the use or distribution of candy canes because they're shaped like the letter J, which stands for Jesus. Manchester Elementary School placed Jennifer Sinclair on leave. In other adventures in public schools, the West Point Public School Board in Virginia unanimously voted to fire Peter Vlaming, who taught French at the school, because he refused to use a ninth grader's preferred pronouns. Vlaming had agreed to only use the student's new name, citing his Christian faith in the process of saying why he could not use the preferred pronouns. He had taught at the school for seven years. Some students participated, though, in a walkout the day following in support of Vlaming. 
Not every parent wants to assign a gender to their child at birth. These partners will let their two-year-old, Zoe, choose for themselves. I have been with my partner, my husband, for 15 years. Both my husband and I identify as transgender men. And we have a now 22-month-old named Zoe. Uh, we use they pronouns for Zoe. We felt like there are so many gender stereotypes that get put on kids like from the second they're born. The first question is, is it a boy or a girl? And then so many decisions are made from that, right? Are you going to buy pink clothes or blue clothes? Do they play with trucks or with dolls? Um, and we felt like we really want, as best we can, to have our child not have those stereotypes put on them. Apparently there's a place in Costa Rica specifically designed for giving you a vacation from white people. This is like heaven right now. Yeah. Alexis Bromley is from Nebraska. She needed a break from white people. In Omaha, it's very segregated. It's, um, it can be very isolating if you're a person of color. It's hard in Nebraska because it's a red state. And so you just don't know who you interact with on a daily basis, if they believe that you're lesser, if you're inferior, and how that in turn can affect me. Meanwhile, the Motion Picture Academy of America is going to meet to decide whether or not there should be a host at all for the Oscars following Kevin Hart falling prey to the social media mob. And now for something completely different. In case you were getting in the holiday spirit, the Christmas mood, and feeling all warm and gooing inside, just remember that Santa will punch you. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle-belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer And finally, and I really mean finally, a politically correct well, folks, unfortunately, our computer just froze between the poli- before the politically correct version of... Uh, man, I really wish you could have seen that baby, it's cold outside. It was just baby, it's go- uh, baby, just go outside, but unfortunately... Baby, just go outside? Un- unfortunately, our computer wanted to go outside. I, I don't think the computer froze. I, I think what happened is... There was so much dumbassery in that montage. <laughs> the computer, the computer can't, can't even. That the, 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 the fates would not permit and just shut it down. Yeah. And just said, no more and one more. No. Yeah. no. America, the world cannot take any more of this. Listen, we're a culture on its last legs. But I'll say this. <clears throat> this is going to be the funniest damn cultural collapse in human history. I'll at least give us credit for that. All right? We are going out. If you got to go, go with a smile. We are going out. Uh, laughing all the way. I mean, that, that Santa clip. And and let's start from the back. I normally start from the top as we go through these topics. I want to start from the back end. The Oscars talking about not having a host. You know why they won't? I, I, forget what they're saying. When we come back after the first of the year, the theme for 2019 is what, gentlemen? No BS. No BS. Okay. Here's why they're thinking of not having a host. James Gunn and Kevin Hart. They, see, they're, they have a problem. And the problem is that there are some enterprising people on our side, ready to pounce, to force them to live by their own rules. And then you have some people that aren't even on our side, like Nick Cannon, who are just fed up with the rules of his own. And is tweeting out every prominent white female comedian's homophobic 
tweets of the past. And once he tweets them out, even if they go in there and scrub those, the screen captures, they're all there. They're there forever now. So the problem the Oscars has is whom could they nominate for that position that you would be able, that would be compelling television on any level whatsoever that would not force controversy because of their past statements. Now, I'm not, I'm not drawing a moral equivalency between James Gunn and Kevin Hart in terms of their statements. Regardless of what you thought about James Gunn's comments or the context of them, I think it's reasonable a company who spends the majority of its marketing towards children is uncomfortable with someone who is making even what are obviously humorous remarks, but they are humorous, humorous remarks sexualizing children. I, I think there's a... To me, there's a different degree there because of, of, the, of the company that said we just can't have this in our midst. Um, there's a different degree there than what we're talking about with Kevin Hart. But the circumstances, while the, while the subjects uh, or, or the context of the, of, of the commentary isn't the same, the circumstances of what happened is. And what happened is a bunch of people on our side went and just destroyed James Gunn with those comments because of what we've seen them do to people on the other. And, and if you're the Oscars now, you are in an area, you're in an arena where you can no longer unilaterally apply this standard because you're going to get destroyed. Who, who would you, tell me, give me a name. Who would you, who would they hire that doesn't have previously objectionable material that offends some sectarian group that doesn't open up this entire can of worms now? Keep going further. Why should the Oscars even exist at all based on that standard? Well, <laughs> you mean that, you know, two years ago with the standing ovations for Harvey Weinstein and then he kicks off the, he's the, you know, the cow that kicks over Mrs. O'Leary's landing of the Me Too movement. You mean something like that? Yeah. See, the, the problem they're having is that they are being forced to live by their own standard. And they have, that's not been foisted upon them in the past. They haven't had to do that in the past. It's funny. They, they are the legalists now. I yes. think somebody at uh, Resurgence wrote about that the other day. And I thought about that last week when Kevin Hart was, uh, fell prey to the Me Too. What, what happens when you push back on a legalist and make them live by their own standards? And I'm talking about legalist, legalism in, the, in you know, a theological context. It's what you're seeing now happen uh, from the academy. They don't know what to do. They don't know where they're going to go. And it makes sense. So let's say, let's pick a name like Ellen DeGeneres. America's sweetheart, a lesbian sweetheart. Everybody loves Ellen DeGeneres. She brought lesbianism essentially mainstream because of her sweetheart status. Here's the problem. And even if there's nothing objectionable anywhere in her Twitter feed like ever, which I could see because she kind of is the Sandy Duncan right now. I mean, she is, like I said, she's America's sweetheart right now. Do you know what'll happen if you replace a black man with a white person? They're so boxed in I don't, where would they go? Costa Rica. <laughs> I, I, Helmets. Yes. You should, you're okay. It's okay to gloss and reward yourself for that. Yes, that is not a dude foul. It ain't bragging if you can do it, Babe Ruth. Absolutely. That was perfection. All right. But I don't know what name they could pick that doesn't open up this can of worms, either from the right or from the left. Once, see, the, the, the problem you have when, when you unleash a swarm of locusts. It's very, they're never satiated. And you tell the locusts at first, hey, you can have all the crops 
but these ones that we reserve for ourselves. And sooner or later, though, when they're done consuming those crops and everybody else's fields, the locusts don't fly away and say, oh, you know, our work here is done. Yeah, we've, we're, we're full. No, they're locusts. And guess what they're going to do next? Consume the next available field. Well, they're consuming each other now. I, I, I find this is to be a fascinating dynamic of man bites dog. They, they have, the, or the tail wagging the dog for that matter. They, they have nowhere they could go that would not incite instant controversy one way or another. And so now they're stuck. And the reason they're stuck is they're being forced to live by the standards they've wanted to inflict upon everybody else. And I've, I find this to be fascinating and also pretty damn funny. Uh, as well because it's the ever-changing standards as well yes They're being forced to live by yesterday's tomorrow's and five weeks ago and a standard standards. we don't even know yet that yeah. might be the standard in six weeks yeah. that's exactly right that's exactly right yes uh the vacation from white people man that's my spirit animal <laughs> i mean pelosi schumer trump Mueller. there's a lot of white people right now i'd like to get a vacation away from i don't think that's the context by which they they mean that though right that's not what it means. If why do you live in Nebraska? Who's forcing you to live there? I mean, is it is it compulsory that you must people. live in Nebraska? Yeah, apparently, the white the people. white people are forcing her to live among them. Yeah. The white the white people are so racist. They're forcing. They're forcing a black person they don't inherently like to live with them. At what point does that make any sense? Anybody? Well, I loved our collective snicker when she talked about you. Do you know what it's like to be around people and always wondering what they're thinking about you as she's talking about how, how much she hates white people? It's, it's the self-owning of that entire thing is yes. again funny. Yes. See, this is why this is why they are, this is why they're going to try and throw all of us off of social media platforms. And it doesn't have anything to do the you know that's the scam. The incendiary commentary is the excuse. The real reason, you know, we've, we've always taught you guys in the audience through the course of this show that in politics there is the right reason people do things and then there's the real reasons that people do things. The real reason they want us gone is because this is the platform we have used to force them to live and be accountable to their own standards. Right, like Twitter's Jack Daly talking about his hippie harmonic achieving Nirvana and Miramar over the weekend with a bunch of other Hollywood elites. Miramar, by the way, right now is one of the most religiously oppressive countries in the world. It's so religiously oppressive that it actually oppresses Muslims. Okay, that's pretty religiously oppressive. All right, because usually it's the Muslim countries that are usually the most religiously oppressive in the world. The one that overrun by Islam. In this case, Muslims are oppressed in Miramar. It's a, it's a religiously intolerant country. It's a bigoted nation. And he's over there talking about his open-minded, and there is an outstanding piece Ben Shapiro of the Daily Wire wrote about this, just, just throat-punching, rhetorically throat-punching Jack for his hypocrisy. See, that's why they want us gone. James Gunn, there's no, there's no forcing James Gunn to live by the same standard as everybody else without our access to social media that's the, see, the social media is the city gate of, of, of ancient times. It's where all the community's business is essentially argued, discussed, and, and eventually settled one way or the other. And 
they want to deny you access to that so they don't have to they don't they don't have to be it's tough it's tough to get them to live by their own standards now take away the one platform that forces it upon them and then they get to just you you mentioned legalism Aaron they get to just pharisee yeah. away yeah. that's what this is really about is the, is it's really about they, right now right now they're getting away with four legs good two legs bad what they really want to get away with is four legs good two legs are even better. And as long as we have access to social media, I was reading something from uh, Bree Payton at The Federalist before we started the show today, where she came up to Jennifer Rubin, the uh, fake conservative columnist at The Washington Post, who's literally never taking a conservative position on anything. And she walked up to her and asked her, hey, do you consider yourself a conservative? And Rubin said, yes. And she goes, what positions define your conservatism? And her and, and Ruben's answer was, well, I'm a conservative. I just think the party's gone insane. And she walked away. <laughs> See, without access to social media, Jennifer Rubin gets away with this 25 years ago. They can't get away with it anymore. This is the equalizer. And, you know, this, the, when the system persecutes people like us, which it will, because we're in a culture in decline and minus revival, this is how it will end. All right. It, it would prefer it gets to it would prefer to get to put us in prison and to, and to put us in stockades or, um, you know, um, at, in the galleys or in the gallows. It would prefer to do that for, for technicalities, for stupid stuff we do. All right. Because it knows that the minute it starts creating martyrs. That always blows up in the system's face. Martyrs always win. Always. Martyrdom always wins. Right. When with access to social media platforms, they're not permitted the luxury of their own horse pucking, and because we get to call them on theirs all of the time, and and the system doesn't want to persecute you for the reasons that it really is persecuting you, which is we hate what you believe and we don't want to be accountable to your God and we're tired of hearing about him from you, so you have to go. So it wants to find 75 other reasons. Yeah. This is why I was adamant not to link arms with Alex Jones. The conversation we're having right now, all right? Force the system to ban us for the right reasons, okay? Don't make it easy on them. Don't go to Alcatraz for tax evasion, Capone. Go to Alcatraz for the St. Valentine's Day massacre. Go to Alcatraz because the bodies of, the bodies of your rhetorical genius and the pulling of down of their pants piled up so high that you just have to go because they can't beat you. And this is the only way, Aaron. That's what you want to do. Yeah. And as you're talking, the, I, the interesting and probably tragic paradox of progressivism is that its consequence of being adopted or accepted is ultimate power and control on the part of the state. We talk about that all of the time. That's its consequence. But it sells itself as... And it sells itself successfully as a way out of consequence. That's the thing that we're talking about here. People don't want to be called on their horse pucky. Um, if you start holding a different standard every day that ends in Y, the consequence of that is that you're going to get your pants pulled down. Mm -hmm. If you want to self-actualize and then you regret it later by uh, you know, chopping off uh, private parts... Um, the consequences are you can't go back, but they don't want they want to be free from consequences. That is how it sells itself all of the time. But at the end of the day, the consequence of progressivism, of leftism, of statism, whatever, however you want to color it, however want to you, however you want to picture it, um, the consequence of uh, progressivism is ultimate power and control. And it's not you calling the shots at the end of the day. 
And I want to address the video of the, the two, quote, transgendered men and their child. Um, this has gone viral. I've watched a lot of commentary on this. And, and I, think, I think the commentary from our side is exactly right. But it's, it, it's not attacking the main point. I agree this is child abuse. All right. But you have to dam a river at the source. You have to attack the premise that's being asserted here. And I go back to when we had the original gay marriage wars. And, you know, you guys used to listen to me debate this on local radio in Iowa when, when our state was kind of on the front lines of this. And you might remember, I used to ask the advocates for redefining marriage um, what their opinion was of gender. And that what they were really arguing was not redefining marriage. They were really arguing the redefinition of gender. And that, that's what Phil Robertson got in trouble for uh, in, in 2013, was asserting that men like women and women like men. That's really what the argument is about, is that the argument really wasn't about love is love and all the other taglines, which we knew it wasn't about that anyway, but it wasn't even, a, they, they weren't even, they didn't even believe their, the, the false reasons they were spewing that propaganda. And maybe they, maybe when you're in that much rebellion to your creator, you're, you're in a state of, of a limited state of sanity and you're, you're so frothing that you're not even considering the, 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 three, the three or four steps of what you're really arguing. Because when I would push back on the air, on the advocates for this, on the fact that they were really saying gender doesn't exist, that it is not natural, um, the natural order is gone, that men and women are not meant to be together, all right? they would get mad and they would push back on me vehemently. That's not what we're saying at all. Now, maybe some of that was they thought that they were, that was a point they, the culture wasn't ready for them to win yet. And so they didn't want to have that argument. It could also be they really hadn't even, they so were given over to their own craven desires that they weren't thinking intellectually and hadn't thought about the fact that that's really what they're saying. I mean, that, that's really what they're saying is gender doesn't exist. To me, that is, the, that is the premise we need to be arguing if we're going to defeat this. If we argue this on any other grounds, I agree it is child abuse. I don't believe you're going to win a child abuse argument. They're going to look like victims and that love their kids. Why are you getting in the way of them loving their children? And you're the bully. You have to hit the argument at its premise. And a lot of times in conservative media, we're not comfortable doing that. Some of it is because we don't know the premise of our own arguments. Sometimes we're kind of reacting to the things of the other side we don't like. And others is because the premise of our own arguments can be inconvenient because they could force us to be accountable to the same premise. And one of the things we love to do in conservative media is we love to come up with people that represent the left's victim groups but speak our talking points so that we can say, see, uh, you can be a conservative where white after Labor Day, have sex with car batteries, uh, and, uh, and speak Gaelic on Thursdays. You know what I'm saying? That's, don't we do that? We, don't give me that look. We do it, don't we? <laughs> yeah, we do. We do it. It's a very profitable business, by the way, to be one of those tokens a lot of times. We love it. So we, we love to find ways to argue the left's positions in every way other than actually arguing against the left's position. So here's what the argument is against that video. And it's not the child abuse argument. I agree it is child abuse. I don't believe that's an argument you're going to win. I think that argument's already lost. 
because you lost the premise. So you got to go back to arguing the premise. Here's your question. Here's the question. This is, this is what all of conservative media, all, tough word to use. I'm going to use it here. This is what all of conservative media's response ought to be to that video. How did two men have a child? And say nothing else. How would two men have a child? How did two men create that child? I'm sorry that I have to play this. I, I believe it's women cross-dressing. That's my question. Same Force, question. Same question. Yeah. How did two... They, they identify as men. Yeah. How did two men create a child? Uh, they have a baby. You have, you're going to see... And, and, and this is the Romans road, man, and it's going to make enemies. This is the other reason we don't want to do it. And I get it, man. I'm kind of tired of making enemies too. But it's like I said yesterday about the media. I have done, I have, I have held back my basic, it is not my basic instinct to take the high road. Todd, is that a lie? You've known me for a long time. Is it my basic instinct to take the high road, Todd? Am I a guy that just generally is a live and let live, turn the other cheek, and pay me uh, Tuesday for a burger uh, tomorrow? Is that typically, is that the Steve Dace you've known for the last uh, 15 years, Todd? Yeah. No. I'm a, that's not how I typically roll. I have to go against my basic instinct to have practiced the restraint I have tried to show for the last couple of years. But like I said yesterday about the media, where I'm at a point with them, I, I can't ignore the reality of this anymore. This isn't bias now. It is open, institutionalized malfeasance. And it, it, it's, I don't want to be your enemy, but you are adamant that you're going to make me one. And so I am now... In the course of human events, I, am, I have no other obligation or choice but to answer that challenge. That's once it's been issued at that existential level. Well, the same thing is going on with situations like this. It is, we're going to have to, you know, there's an old saying, you're not going to make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. You want to win the pronoun words argument? More teachers are going to have to get fired. Say whatever you want about Kim Davis and her past life where she was divorced a couple times and, you know, people picked on the fact she was overweight and she looked old fashioned and, and country bumpkin. That, none of that matters. Because have you noticed the momentum in the bake the cake bigot battle? Did you notice it's actually gone in our favor ever since she went to jail? Slowly but surely the worm began to turn. And then you won two Supreme Court cases on that question after she went to jail. One with Hobby Lobby and then one with Masterpiece Cake Shop earlier this year. There has to be a willingness for some suffering to win some of these arguments. So we're going to have to lose some friends. We're going to have to lose some clicks. We're going to have to lose some mainstream media bookings because you're not going to beat, you're not going to Ocasio-Cortez viral video, that level of the depth of that propaganda. You have to understand you've, we've lost seven arguments. That video, they didn't just call out of the bullpen, uh, hey, we're desperate here, base are loaded, uh, give me a video. We had to lose like seven arguments, guys, before a video like that could ever, ever be dared aired in the mainstream. And so we got to go back and win the arguments we lost before we even got to the point of seeing arguments like this. Do you see the point I'm trying to make? I do. And, and, and so we got to go to square one, all right? All right, we're Vince Lombardi, his first day coaching the Green Bay Packers after decades of losing. We're starting all over again. Men, these are the very first words he ever uttered as the coach of the Packers. Men, this is a football, all right? So we need to do this with the culture. We got to go back to the roots of this. And it will be inconvenient to some of us. 
because we want the polka dotted, uh, leopard skinned, uh, uh, unibrowed, unisexed, uh, that you, and you can be just like that and be conservative too. Okay. Cause our great fear is to be constantly called racist, misogynist, homophobic bigots. So we like our token, uh, spokespeople. We love those. All right. Um, and so that we can essentially pull the Archie bunker and say, see, I mean, I mean, one of my uh, favorite uh, conservative commentators, uh, you know, he wears panties on his head uh, in April as well. I'm not, you know, I'm not old. I'm not a Puritan. That's kind of how we roll. All right. We're going to have to get rid of dispense all of that crap. And we're going to have to be willing to make the fundamental argument here because the fundamentals are what are being argued. You know, we're arguing, we want to argue about the frosting on the cake. They are, they're, they're baking their own cake. So we got to go back to the beginning. And the question that needs to be discussed in response to videos like that is simply, how did two men make a child? If we are not prepared to have that argument, then my suggestion would be, and, and if it's, so be it. My suggestion would be then to leave stories like this alone and say nothing about them. Because the more emotion that you add on to the emotion at the base of the argument, even if it's the opposite emotional reaction, emotion times emotion is what? A lot more emotion. You're just going to get more emotion. Who wins if it's about emotion? The left. They're going to win. All right? So to me, it's real simple. Either we are willing to take the dirt road and attack the premise of these arguments, or, or the collateral damage we take for attacking them at all isn't worth attacking them wrongly. Because here's the thing, you're going to get all the same blowback whether you attack the foundation of the argument or not. You're the same bigot whether you attack the fundamentals of the argument or yep. not. It's so you Kevin might as well attack versus the, Amy Coney Barrett. Yes, you might as well, yeah. Might as well, you might as well be Amy Coney Barrett and not Brett Kavanaugh in all of these arguments and go right for the premise. Go right for the heart. Aim for the thermal exhaust port every time. One of them. So imagine if every adult in the United States had their identity stolen in the last month. That'd be tragic. Except that's worse. What happened for real is worse than that. 500 million. There's about 330 million Americans counting children. 500 million adults worldwide had their identities thieved recently via a hack of the Marriott Corporation, which means uh, the thieves had their credit card numbers, maybe ours, for all I know. I'm trying to remember the last time I stayed at a Marriott-owned uh, property. But uh, your credit card numbers, including that three-digit code that's on the back of your card that you give to verify it's actually you, right? They've got that. Your address, banking information, uh, router numbers, you know, the kinds of things that you would supply as secondary verification whenever you call anybody about, uh, you know, anything to do with any of your financial interest, bills, identity, et cetera, and they own it all. Um, that's bad. And one of the things that could be even more vulnerable is your most valuable asset, your most valuable investment, your own home. For most of Americans, their own home is their most valuable asset, specifically the equity in your home. And you may have um, identity theft, uh, protection against what happened at the Marriott, but identity theft protection will not protect you from thieves taking that personal information and using it to obtain 
your home equity. That's why you need to get home title lock for just pennies a, a, a day. They will put a virtual barrier around your home's title, protect your most valuable investment, that home equity. So you don't get a surprise when you go to sell that home, or maybe it's it, it's the princess's wedding and you want to go all out and you're going to cash some of that equity in to pay for it. And then it's not there. You, that's not a good surprise. Don't let it happen to you. In fact, your home's title could be vulnerable already because this information's all online too. Find out with a free scan and report from Home Title Lock. They usually charge around 100 bucks for these. They're giving them away today to our viewers and listeners at Blaze Media for free at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. All right, let's get to it. This week's edition of Fake News or Not, we have three clips we're going to take a look at and discuss, beginning with this one. I'm Cabot Phillips with Campus Reform. Today we're in Georgia at the Savannah College of Art and Design, where students have created a petition to change the name of this building, which is named after Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice and Savannah native. Now, are students sure of why exactly they want the name changed, or are they just angry because they don't agree with him? Let's find out what they have to say. There's a petition on campus to remove uh, the name of Clarence Thomas, Supreme Court Justice, from a building here. What's your thought on the petition? I honestly think he should be removed. We should probably just take his name off the building. It's not that big of a deal. I agree that to get removed. What's your thought on the petition? Uh, I agree. I don't think he represents the student body. Uh, I would sign it. Um, I think I'd probably sign the petition. And is there anything that you would point to as something that he's done that would warrant that? I don't know. Um, hmm. Do you mind if I get back to you? Hmm. Uh, is there anything that comes to mind um, that he's done that you would point to as something that you think disqualifies him? I don't know. I haven't done much, much research on this. I just saw a Facebook petition about it, yeah. and that's kind of the extent of it. He is a historical figure, though. Uh, so is Hitler. Okay. Is there anything that Justice Thomas has done that you would point to and say that's why we shouldn't have him? I mean, not in particular. I think... I guess just, well, I don't know what he did. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't really know anything about him. Um, I don't really know that the answer to that one. This is such a liberal community, and um, to degrade that in any way is not really the SCAD way for things. And, um, Isn't the liberal viewpoint, though, like open-mindedness and tolerance? I guess, but I think that's just a way to twist the concept of liberalism. No, I really wouldn't sign that petition. Um, and once again, I wouldn't sign that petition simply because I feel that even though the student body might have its certain views and values, just because you don't agree with somebody doesn't mean that you shouldn't honor them. I don't think just because you disagree with someone's politics, you should dislike. I guess dismiss their accomplishments. Okay. And if people have like an issue with it, it's kind of a small group, I would suppose. And okay. if he was born and raised here, I mean, there's a Pauline restaurant here. People talk about her, and she was born and raised here, and she's everywhere. So when I let him stay. Uh, what's your thought? Would you sign the petition to remove him? Uh, I don't think so. Just because if you hate someone, it doesn't matter. It's part of history. You can't change the past. So in that way, yeah, I could kind of definitely see where it would. He would maybe earn a right to have his name on something whether the students agree on his political views or not if someone doesn't align with you 
it doesn't mean that they're bad. It doesn't mean that they're wrong. It doesn't mean that you're right. It doesn't mean that there's anything that you can't come to terms with. Todd, I'm going to let you go first. Your thoughts. We are, I had this conversation uh, after mass on Sunday with a, uh, somebody left of center. And we talked about, I brought up how this is the most educated society we've ever had in the history of mankind. The amount of time spent in formal learning. It, 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 we are, our cup runneth over in terms of opportunities uh, to go to school and to better one station. It, it's unmatched in human history. And this is where we live. That we aren't certain anymore with our legacy of race relations whether a black man should have a building named after him. In Savannah, Georgia, which is a community. That's where this took place, right? Savannah, Georgia? That's why I understand. Yeah, that, that that's a community has a, a, a pretty checkered past with racial politics, by the way. This is a culture. No, no hyperbole. It doesn't deserve to exist anymore. It, it, it is existing because of the gated community effect that I talk about all the time. There is enough built-up reserve that, that can put a culture like this on autopilot. The, you know, the wealth, the oceans protecting us, all of that combines. But were, were we— this this Rome of ours would have fallen a long time ago were it not for all of that stuff. It's just going to take longer. The cancer is going to dig in longer and harder, but fall it ultimately will. It, it, it can't not fall, and it, it deserves to fall. These are people who are not capable, not capable of sustaining the bedrock that made this country possible in the first place. So, Aaron, help me, because this is your generation, and you're the one that's been, you know, uh, a part of a, co- a collegiate community more recently than, than Todd and I have. How is it such a small university? I am struck by, I mean, it's chasm-level critical thinking between the students we saw at the beginning and the students we saw at the end. How does one... How does how does the same group of people, or those two different groups of people, get produced by the same academic uh, environment, culture? How does that happen? Um, and is it emblematic of your generation in it, general? Yes. Um, it's always, 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 always um, the parents, I think, when you, when you uh, boil it down. Of course, they're responsible for themselves. They're responsible for... Um, you know, their own decisions. And I had a pretty good friend uh, at the, you know, uh, private liberal arts Christian university that I attended who grew up here in Iowa with me and uh, parents sent him to Christian school. He is a leftist. (laughs) He is a, he's a leftist. That's all I can, I mean, all I can put at it. Um, But I think at the end of the day, it's the parents not really giving those, you've, you've, you've told that story before about the the, the, the young man whose parents couldn't answer the questions that he had mm-hmm. when he came home for Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. I think it's because the parents um, are either not um, 
you know, not willing or not able to answer some of the tough questions. And so they're always going to go somewhere else or follow their heart or follow their feelings. And that's how you get out, get um, stuck with the doubled mindedness that you saw on the part of groups of students in that clip. On the one hand, you know, maybe students who had somebody in their life, like a parent, who were able to confront and and take on some of those tough questions of worldview, of what have you, um, that that you know young people naturally have. But I think on the in the other group, it's just the parents punting their responsibility uh, to answer those those tough questions to whoever else. And when that happens, when um, in the home, those they don't have a solid foundation in the home. Uh, they're going to fall for basically everything that's thrown at them when they get out in the real world. I think that's a good answer because I think it's beyond just ideology when you watch that line of demarcation. Because you've got one group of students who say, I don't want him on the, I don't want him uh, a building named after him on campus, but I can't think of anything that um, I disagree with. And then another group of students who are like, I don't even agree with his politics, but I don't know how you, why you wouldn't honor a guy. Um, you know, who's the rare black Supreme Court justice. There's, th- this is not ideological there. There's a critical thinking chasm there that, that, and it's clear one group of, from what, from what I hear you saying to me is one group of those students, regardless of whatever their political leanings would be, were, were equipped as children to critically think. Sure. Yeah. And then another group wasn't, and that made them particularly susceptible to essentially a modern form of brainwashing. Is that yeah. what we're basically well, saying? No, you look at those clips, and it's like, uh, it's like those those kids when they're when they say, "No, I don't want, I don't, I don't want uh, this building named after, after Thomas." Um, and then they're they're asked why, and they're like, "This is like a dream." Yes, or a dream of a dream. Somebody it's asked me just, to explain why I think what like, I think. Yeah, somebody, yeah. and it's like. I don't know. It's like somebody. It's like a jet snapping out of a Jedi mind trick, or something like that, or somebody that casting a spell in Harry Potter. You know, a memory charm or whatever. It is the brainwashing is real and it is spectacular. Mm. Let's get to the next clip. Communities have suffered under democratic control. To those, I say the following: What? Do you have to lose? Does he have the right approach? When you look at the, I, I may not agree with a lot of the tactics, especially the language. I've called him out on calling countries that my parents are, are, are from, asshole countries. Um, I've, I've gone after him with the language, but African Americans, uh, black Americans are actually, their unemployment is, is the lowest it's been for them for a while. I'm looking at results. The reason why we have such a divide when it comes to elections, the reason is because there's a sense that I don't believe that minorities really trust Republicans, trust that they actually care. Those policies are coming from afar. And I think that we as Republicans, all of us need to do a better job showing people that we actually care about them. All right. That's soon to be former Congresswoman Mia Love uh, this week on MSNBC pointing out that the results of the policies, you may not like that guy on camera, but the results of his policies have been better for uh, black America than what they were getting prior from a guy that uh, looked like them and gave them all the warm fuzzies and that Republicans essentially need to figure out a way to bridge a relationship trust gap with those minority communities 
uh, to give them a chance to make the sale about the results of what it is they're actually advocating. What are your thoughts on this, Todd? Well, I want to go back to the well stubbornly to the conversation we had, and perhaps uh, uh, you can reset it on yesterday's uh, roundtable, suggesting who might be a good chief of staff. And upon hearing that, I instantly thought, how about that woman for chief of staff to answer your question? What if, better if, way to reset the things the way you, you're talking about? If the next year was going to be about primarily gearing up it's for, still the re- same answer. Okay. for re-election and not a criminal prosecution, I would agree you could do a lot worse than that messaging right there. I would agree. But let's be honest. Again, no BS. This next year is about gearing up for a criminal prosecution and not a re-election. That's the, you know, there's a clear and present danger, uh, you know, pointed at uh, Trump and his business interests and his family, not to mention uh, his administration. And their priority has got to be defending themselves against that before they even have the luxury to turning towards messaging for the next election. So in essence, to answer your question, to address those concerns, it's impossible because his presidency is basically over. Well, I don't know that it's over. No, it's imperiled. It's, it's imperiled. In terms of being able to talk about the things in any substantive way that she wants to talk about, it, they can't be addressed. There's well, just too much chaos uh, around it, this. It also goes to what we said on the roundtable yesterday. This conversation, I think, would actually help him hold off with the existential threats of his presidency. I think so. Because it's, I think the country was much more interested in that conversation than hush money to porn stars because they think most politicians are corrupt anyway, and they're probably right. I don't believe he is capable of that level of compartmentalization just based off of what we've witnessed from him in his life and since he's been in the White House. It would take an extraordinary, it would take superhuman self-restraint for Trump when everybody wants to make him the main story. The amount, I don't believe Trump has the restraint to not play into that and say, hey, I'm fine being the main story if the main story is bad. If I had three followers on Twitter but was somehow managed to be published in the New York Times citing or writing a story saying Trump eats bogeys, he would respond to it. <laughs> yes. Yes, by the failing New York Times. The failing yeah. New York yes. Times. Yes. Let's get to one more clip. Well, the president's people would argue that the good is that the American public uh, is getting impatient with the investigation and there's no hardcore evidence linking the president to Russia. That impatience is due in large measure to the PR campaign being successfully waged by Rudy Giuliani. The bad is that federal prosecutors in New York City and a federal judge in New York City have found that what Michael Cohen did was a federal crime and that there is evidence to substantiate the conclusion that the president ordered him to do it and paid him for it. That makes the president as criminally culpable as he. If you hire me to shoot somebody and I shoot that person, you are as liable as if you had pulled the trigger. This is the point you just... Did it better than me. This is the point I was trying to make earlier this week after reading through all of those filings on Friday. And um, I think the president is facing a two-front war. He's facing a full-on onslaught from the Southern District of New York U.S. Attorney's Office. And then then there's, I think, I think Mueller has done a lot of rope-a-dopes and a lot of Trojan horses. I don't buy for a second... Mike Flynn, you can't tell me Mueller is on a witch hunt. And then he, he asked for no jail time for Mike Flynn for giving him nothing. I mean, it would seem if you were on a witch hunt, Mike Flynn gave you nothing. You'd, you'd, you'd pimp slap him around as hard as you possibly could, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you think you'd done that? I mean, Jaywalking. Yeah, you've already ruined the guy's career as it is. 
I mean, you'd probably, you know, find some way to put him behind a slammer for at least a few days, like you did George Papadopoulos, wouldn't you? If you could. So if you read, if you read what's in Mueller's filing, it's what's not said that I think is particularly uh, dangerous. Um, and what's in those black bars in the Mike Flynn f- filing that I think is, and because you don't know, because here's the thing, Mueller could be rope-a-doping you. It could be that he doesn't really have anything, but he's casting, he's waiting for you to move feeling like, hey, I got to make some plays here because I'm trapped. And that's kind of where he catches you on the second level there, you know? Like in football, it's always the guy that retaliates who gets the penalty, not the guy who threw the first punch, if you know what I'm saying. And then you have a full onslaught, like Judge Knapp just described there from the Southern District of New York. This is going to be this entire presidency and then this next year. I don't know how, I, I, I just, I don't know how it's unavoidable. What do you guys think? Is that fake news or not? <sighs> Well, it's not fake news. Uh, he, Donald Trump deserves this. The nation deserves it for all the reasons I just got to talking about uh, uh, the compromises we constantly make in our logical thinking. We made this uh, deal with the devil. But, okay, it, it, when he says it completely exonerates him, uh, listen, the frame of reference that people are looking for, remember, it, it's, uh, it's, 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 Ironic that the judge uses uh, what happens if you if if you ask somebody to shoot something then they do just because you're not the one who pulls the trigger. Well, remember Donald Trump's the guy who stood up there and said before being yes. elected, "I can shoot somebody and no right. one's going to care." Right. We're, we're, and so we're still not talking about collusion. We're talking about, in a way, this same thing that people said, eh, "I don't care. I'm voting for him anyways." So in that way, it does. I'm not apologizing for him, but it does exonerate him in a manner of speaking. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. Just maybe not in the way he was was hoping. We'll come back hour two next year on Blaze Media. Stay tuned. And we are back with Hour 2 here on Blaze TV, live and on demand. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. 888-900-3393. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And if you are listening via the podcast, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you do listen to us via the podcast, if you have time today, whether it's there on iTunes or Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, whatever is the podcast platform of your choice, if you could leave us one of those five-star reviews, we would greatly appreciate it. So many of you have already done so, and thank you. Now, you might be listening right now and thinking, Steve, I, I've been checking this show out, and you are not worthy of a five-star review, and you may even be right about that. Maybe just don't say anything that, just kind of like your mom said, if you got nothing that I say, don't, don't say anything at all. We wouldn't ask you to lie. Just maybe keep that information to yourself. But if you do dig the show, we would appreciate it if you would leave us a five-star review. And if you don't have time to leave a review, you have two seconds to hit the subscribe button there because the more of those numbers that pile up, the more that helps us to grow this show so we can find more people like you. Coming up a little bit later on in this hour, our daily truth bomb. What happens if we allow PC social justice warrior culture to determine what are the proper and correct Christmas carols for us to sing? We will delve into that dark abyss Uh, a little bit later on in this hour. Also, we continue our Pop Culture Tuesday series on the intersection between culture and Christmas. Do you know the origins of some of America's most beloved Christmas traditions? We'll get into that a little bit later on. But 
what happens when we take our God-given talent, creativity, inquisitiveness, um, ingenuity, and we remove God from that equation? Where do we go as a society? That is explored in Michael uh, Gian's new book, or Gillen's new book, I should say, The End of Life as We Know It, Ominous News from the Frontiers of Science. And he is a Harvard-educated physicist, but don't hold that against him. He also won an Emmy Award over at NBC News, but that's strike two. We, we won't hold it against him either. Harvard and mainstream media. We're going to practice uh, tolerance and diversity here and not prejudge you during the Christmas season, Michael. How are you? <laughs> Thank you, Steve. Thank you for not prejudging me. I'm doing really, really well. It's great to hear your voice. Great to be on the show. Do you think that's an adequate summation of the book of essentially what happens when we take our God-given talents and abilities and remove God from the equation? We get these new brave frontiers, essentially. Well, you know, I I think it's a little more complicated than that, Steve. I don't disagree with that. And um, what I want to say to your, your audience is that I take on these four huge areas that uh, technology is just flourishing in. The World Wide Web, um, artificial intelligence and robots. Number three, spy technology and privacy. And number four, genetic engineering. And the book itself is just uh, very heavily footnoted because I, I, it, wasn't, it isn't my opinion. It isn't about Dr. Gillen's opinion about what might happen in the sweet by and by mm-hmm. happening. And so... But in the final chapter, I do allow myself the opportunity to kind of reflect on all of this technology, the good, the bad, and the ugly, because there's some good stuff. It's not all gloom and doom at all. Um, I allow myself to reflect on that and say, yeah, what, what kind of society do we want to create with this stuff? And, and what can we do to help steer this technology towards a great and not a grim future? And, and being a theoretical physicist and a Christian, you know, necessarily... I look at the technology from both points of view. To me, the limit of science, the limits of science comes down to this question, Michael, Mm -hmm. just because we can do a thing, should we do that thing? And, and then, then something needs to be the filter. Something needs to be the, the fulcrum on the levy that determines how we answer that question. What's the cornerstone or the premise from which we would, we would gauge that? Because there's a lot of things we can do that are advancements, per se, but are they yeah. necessarily advancements for good? For example, when I look at robotic technology, and it, it's for every story I see about um, obvious benefits and advancements in that field, and then there's the the Schadenfreude aspect of all of these cities that want to impose you know seventy five dollar minimum wages and and the fast food joints are now going to robots because they can't afford the employees. So there's the humorous aspect of the story, but then there is you know every it seems like every third story I see online about robot technology involves sex robots, for example, right? Yeah. Because that's yeah. that's what we need is even less intimacy and less personal contact with each other. I think I think that's exactly what humanity needs right at the moment. Would that be an example of just because we can do a thing, should we do that thing? Yeah, yeah, it is, Steve. And, and I'll even go one step further, and that is I want people to understand that, you know, being a scientist, I, I love science and I feel that science has – uh, benefit, benefited us in many, many ways, but it hasn't turned out the way we intended. In other words, 
I think that if you ask most scientists, they they hope that their research will better the lot of humankind. Mm -hmm. But if you take a look, have we bettered our lot? Yeah, in some ways we have. I mean, I, I recently had surgery that involved a robot and lasers, and you know, thank God for that because now I'm feeling fantastic. Mm -hmm. uh, and imagine if that hadn't been around. But as you know, and I know, and everybody listening and watching right now knows. For every 99 great innovations that have just wonderful, unvarnished benefits, all it takes is one stinker. I mean, right? All it takes is one really bad um, technology that will just do us in. And that's why I think in some ways having this conversation with you uh, right now about the, the alarming aspects of technology is legit. We're not saying we're anti-technology. At least I don't take it that that's what you're saying. But that when you when you don't help steer that technology in a good direction, yes. that's bad. Yeah, right? I'm not, I'm not anti-technology at all. I'm I'm gonna yeah. go home. I'm I'm sitting here talking to you instead of having to pay yeah. thousands of dollars for sat fees. We're doing this yeah. with a pretty clear Skype uh, picture right now. I've got yeah. HD cameras all over my studio. Yeah, right. Um, I've got you know uh, th th probably the most expensive internet uplink you can buy in Des Moines, Iowa, to make all this go. We've got an yeah. uh, we've got an incredibly state of the art facility down in Dallas and Arlington there, where the Blaze is located, making this go all over the globe. When I get done here, I'm going to go home and jump online and follow my favorite sports teams, play Madden football on my on my on my UHD television. You know what I'm saying? I love technology. Oh, yeah. What I'm oh, anti yeah. is purposelessness. I'm anti I'm yeah. anti purposelessness, if I can even say that word. And I look at the Pacific Rim, for example, where a lot of these new technologies. This is kind of the petri dish for a lot of these things. Incredibly genius, uh, creative people in that part of the world. And then you look at the population of Japan, where they're in a, they're in a negative negative winner uh, in terms of de demographics where they aren't having babies, they aren't marrying. And what you have is a bunch of guys that can get sexually gratified everywhere except with women. And so since they didn't have to, there was no incentive to dare to ask a woman out at 14 and, and then and risk rejection. When they get older and successful, they're building these business empires and having these huge successful careers, but they can't take a woman, a 25-year-old woman saying no to them. So they never, ever mate they don't marry they don't propagate the species that's what i'm against is the la is when we remove purpose from technology that's not that's regression that's not progression in my view amen um i, I could i couldn't agree with you more steve and you know i'm i'm thinking as i'm listening to you uh, and japan is a perfect example by the way because they do have an aging population by the way and one of the reasons they're so gung-ho about developing robots is because they want to and as soon as I pray Skype, it freezes on me. You knew that was coming, right? That's yep. one of those things. Like I, I just did. I just did the news talk host version of uh, Todd Erzin is a seven of seven at the free throw line here tonight. Stepping up Clank. to the line with some key free throws. Brick City every time. My bad. I did that. Here, is, here I am is. praising the new technology, and it freezes. All right, I jinxed this, Michael. I'm sorry. Go back to your point about Japan and its population. I'm sorry. Yeah, because they're, it's an aging population, and so they're developing these robots in order to be caregivers, robot caregivers. So a lot of the robot technologies is coming out of Japan for that reason. But getting back to your main point, and I really agree with your premise, and it's and it, at the final chapter of my book, this is the gist of what I say, uh, exactly what you're saying, which is, look, uh, technology by itself is neutral, right? I mean, if a gun is laying on a desk, 
it's neutral. Mm -hmm. It's it's when somebody picks that gun up with some kind of purpose in mind, and that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Is it an evil purpose or is it a a beneficent purpose? And what we're seeing with a lot of this technology is that it's amoral, not immoral, but amoral. It's it, it could go either way depending on how we steer it. And that's why I wrote this book, honestly, Steve, because I wanted people to have their eyes open to what's going on in order to be able to steer the technology in a good and not a bad direction. Let's but go, you're absolutely right. Let's go next to the domestic spying front. Yeah. So I've, I've talked in recent years. For me as a conservative, there's a few arguments I've lost with my libertarian friends. And I've admitted they won this argument. And this is one of them they, that they won against me. I, I was one of those guys. I had a 9-11. Hey, our guys are in charge. We got to catch the bad guys. You know, we got to give government the, this kind of power like the Patriot Act and things of that nature. And my mm-hmm. libertarian friends have war- warned me for years, hey, remember what your mama taught you. It ain't no fun when the rabbits got the gun. The, the power that you give government now when your guys are in charge – there will come a day when a pharaoh who knows not Joseph will be in charge. He will have that power. And are you sure you want to grant him that same power to wield it against you in time? And we have seen examples of that. So how prevalent is really Skynet? How prevalent is it? Well, let, you know, let's set aside Skynet for, for a moment. You have Sundar Pichai right now as we're speaking in Washington, D.C., testifying before a House Congressional Committee, right? That's the Google. And that's Google's uh, bigwig. CEO, yeah. right. He's the Google CEO. And I was able to watch some of it this morning. Then, frankly, I turned it off because it was just too painful. This guy, I think, in some ways epitomizes so much of the problem that we're having right now in terms of privacy. He was asked point blank. How much data does Google gather? Um, and, you know, again, he was just kind of dodging the bullets. But here's the bottom line, Steve. The fact is that Google, and not just Google, you're talking about Facebook, all these entities online um, that have so much power now to collect information about where we are at any given moment, um, where do we sleep. Um, if you're carrying a smartphone around with an Android system, it can even t- uh Um, test elevation. It can measure elevation. So it can even tell you what floor of a building you're on. Mm -hmm. It can can take information about temperature. I mean, this goes on and on and on. So what we're talking about is somebody like a Pichai, who's an unelected person, who has this enormous power to gather information. And not only that, not only to gather the information, but to pimp it out to the highest bidder because that's what's going on. Mm-hmm. This is not just about search engines. People people must know that by now, right? It's all about collecting information about what are you searching for? What kind of movies are you watching? Where are you going? What retailers or what ads are you watching? And, and, and so when you talk about um, the level of invasion of privacy now, psh, I tell my 19-year-old son, Steve, there is no privacy anymore. That when you log on the internet and you think you're in your bedroom in the privacy of your room surfing the net, forget about it. You may as well just open the front door of our home wide and let the world come in because that's exactly what you do every time you log on. And in my book, I have that's why I have a whole section on the World Wide Web and what's what's become of it. And then a hover, another section about spy technology, um, stuff like these smart toys. You know, people are it's Christmas time, right? So you might be thinking about. Uh, buying Uncle Herman a smartwatch or something, and smart toys and smart coffee makers, smart TVs, uh, you name it. 
All these devices, and I explained that they're called the Internet of Things, IoT. And now there are 8 billion of these things right now, and they come with cameras, they come with microphones, and toys especially are very, they, they, this should concern parents very much who are contemplating buying smart toys for their children this Christmas. I tell stories about how, how hackers can get in and turn all these smart devices that you're bringing into your home to spy on you. And the Chinese government is doing the same thing. I wrote an op-ed at Fox News recently about this. This is all documented, Steve. And people need to know about this. Otherwise, they're going to just go blindly into the night. The Chinese government is actually doing right now the plot line of my favorite Black Mirror episode, uh, where all of human society in a dystopian future is ruled by their social media ratings, how nice, how fake plastic yes. nice they are to each other. All right. Yeah. Uh, Ron Howard's daughter from the Jurassic Park movies is the lead in this episode. And that episode aired like three, four years ago. It's the Chinese government is actually introducing this now. Uh, so, you know, fiction yeah. uh, begets uh, truth uh, in this case. Last thing I want to oh. ask you about, you want to comment on that really quick? Go ahead. No, no. Fact is way beyond fiction now. Read the book. I mean, and you're absolutely right about the social score that's going on in China. Mm -hmm. I talk about that. I also say, if you want to see the direction we're going in, Steve, right now in this country, in the United States of America, our beloved country, look at China. That's where we're heading. Is that the kind of surveillance society we want? That's what we're getting. And we're cooperating because of our own ignorance. Don't get me started. Whew. <laughs> Finally, <laughs> the, the Frankenstein factor. What do you mean by that? Yeah. Well, you know, genetic engineering, uh, this is no longer your grandfather's breeding. You know, you, you take a, 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 a horse and a donkey and you make a mule. That, that's no longer the case. Now we have the ability to actually go into the inner sanctum of the cell, of the living cell, and tinker with DNA at will. And there are three groups, just to give you one little tiny example, three groups right now that are creating these sheep-human and pig-human chimeras, C-H-I-M-E-R-A-S. These are uh, creatures that have never walked the face of the earth before, where we're knitting together, knitting together human DNA with sheep DNA, or human DNA with pig DNA to create these chimeras. Why? The because island of Dr. Moreau have, is what you're describing. They will have human vital organs, yeah. and they're hoping that they can harvest those organs to give to patients in need. Again, uh, fiction begets truth. You just described the island of Dr. Moreau, Michael. That's what you described. Yes, sir. That's why I'm saying we are... Forget science fiction, Steve. You, you really want the, the hairs on the back of your neck to stand up? You read some of this stuff that's going on. Again, it's not anti-technology. This is just a fact. This is what's happening. There's a lot of good stuff, but there's a lot of very disturbing stuff there that people need to know about. So my hope is that when they read this book, they will open their eyes to good stuff that they can benefit from, uh, but then also protect themselves from the stuff that is not so good. All, yeah. all we've done with, with talking about your book, The End of Life as We Know It, ominous news from the frontiers of science, is prove yet again, slippery slope arguments win every single time. That's, yeah. why, that's why pagans and secularists hate us bringing them up, because we, we can't help ourselves. If we remove restraint, we will not, restra external restraint, particularly of a providential nature, we will not yeah. restrain ourselves. That is, that's the, that is the long uh, you know, story of, of, of human history. We cannot and will not restrain ourselves. And that's the thread that's playing it out right now in science that you talk about from your book, Michael. But I'm optimistic, Steve. And I want to end on an optimistic note because as a Christian, 
I have the power and I have the moral compass to speak up, to rise up and speak up against this technology that is so alarming. And that's why I wrote this book again, to empower people, not to depress people and not to scare people, but to empower them. This, we are at a crossroads right now, Steve, in history. And you and I and people who care about the direction of our country and who do have a moral compass can rise up and make a difference. That's the ultimate message of this book. It's quite optimistic. Michael Gillen, thank you for joining us today here on uh, Blaze TV. And Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to you and yours, okay? Merry Christmas to you, Steve. God bless you. All right, take care. Some thoughts, gentlemen, on what we just heard uh, from Michael Gillen, author of The End of Life as We Know It. What do you think, Todd? Well, science, uh, we've never been able to resist, as you said. Um, but science is the the brightest of shiny things, uh, and it gets us in ways uh, that we are so entirely uh, seduced by uh, uh, the iPhone. I mean, look for our jobs, Steve. I mean, how, they make our jobs infinitely mm-hmm. uh, easier. We can do them basically anywhere uh, on the fly. But there's already research coming out about putting them in children's hands uh, way too early, uh, basically uh, uh, reprograms uh, their brain. Uh, We have an entire millennial generation that is demanding uh, everybody uh, march uh, and bake the cake bigot, but there's been research about how they've been stunted socially by how they interact with media. So they really don't, they're asking humans to do things that uh, are coming from premises that they've been fundamentally programmed to be unhuman about. They don't understand basic interaction. So we shouldn't be surprised that when everything uh, is is a a tweet that's uh, put out in in a moment that they don't have to consider the ramifications. And in fact, everybody has to bow to their initial desire for why they put that out in the first place. Uh, my, my daughter's in third uh, grade. Uh, she says she's one of the very few, and this is in a semi-rural community. It's not like some e- elitist uh, suburban school. She says everybody in her class already has a cell phone. Uh, we, we just aren't capable. I'm just seconding what you're saying, Steve. We, I don't think we're capable of adulting anymore. And the irony is that science, the thing that uh, that you can't just do on the cheap, it, it does involve some serious adulting to make happen. But once we have it in our hands, um, you know, we, we do neutron bomb stuff with it. We destroy. Here's the thing. I, I agree. We as a society aren't capable of adulting anymore. Humanity as a species since, since the garden has never been capable of it. And um, we'll only adult when forced to because of the circumstances of of this earth require it, meaning an existential threat to the way of life that you prefer. Someone wants to foist another one that you would prefer not to live upon you or divine providential accountability. Short of those two mechanisms, the human species cannot adult itself. And in our culture, the reason we're no longer capable of adulting ourselves, Aaron, is we don't face that, first of all, we don't face the earthy, earthly existential uh, incentive because we've got more nuclear weapons and a bigger army than anybody else does. So we don't face that. And, and we have turned our back on divine providential accountability. And so we are no longer going to ask ourselves questions like, just because we can do a thing, should we do that thing? We're not going to ask those questions anymore. Yeah, and the uh, immediate kind of reaction is we've been talking about science for the last um, you know twenty minutes or so, and um, is this the 
like actual science or is the science, you know, the 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 um, idol of most of uh, secular uh, secularism in in the United States? And what we've been really talking about is a mixture between the both. I mean, yes, there are some magnificent developments, and as you prefaced the conversation and kind of set the uh, tone for the conversation about our God-giftedness and being able to figure out this thing that he's created, these things that he's created around us and harness them. Um, that is amazing. But there has to be some framework in which that fits into. What happens when science is your only framework, i.e. your worldview, i.e. Um, the start and finish of everything in your view is you get chimeras. You get those, you, you get yep. the, the man pigs essentially because science is the only God. Mm-hmm. So this is to us getting closer to our God means opening up the scriptures and seeing what he's, what he has uh, said to us through his scriptures and by the actions and work of his son to them, opening up the scriptures is creating man pigs. That's, that's what that is. And so there is no moral framework. There is no ability to ask the question, should we? There is only science and progress and forward with mm-hmm. no framework in which to fit all of that into. In the Avengers universe, Steve, uh, I, you, you already knew the lore. I was fascinated to learn what's behind the story of Nebula. And ultimately, she became, she was a fully human and mm-hmm. she became mostly machine because her father Thanos kept making her fight other people including her half sister mm-hmm. she kept losing to her sister who was like the best female fighter in the universe perhaps the best fighter and to punish her he would take away parts of her correct is mm-hmm. it mm-hmm. she did that because she was losing we're doing that to ourselves when we think we're winning that's the problem we have no idea what we're doing. We're holding up these things as wins, and we're destroying much of our humanity in the process. Well, are you guys aware of James Cameron, the celebrated filmmaker, his next movie? So he hasn't made a film, I, I don't think, since Avatar, which is the most stunning, beautiful um, propaganda for uh, you know progressive pagan religion pre-Dark Ages that's ever been produced in human society. That's what it is, all right? Well, his next one is Alita Battle Angel. And this movie comes out uh, next next it's uh, a what? spring. What, Alita Battle Angel is what it's called. Okay. Comes out, I think, next spring uh, or late winter. And it's essentially about a robot who has human form, but she is 100% robot. She just has human form. Uh, and she essentially, she gets a human boyfriend and uh, in the trailer and is really... Uh, more willing, uh, more human in defense of human values and human worth than human beings are and has to actually fight human beings uh, for their own, um, you know, for their own inherent dignity, worth, and value that they're supposed hmm. to stand for as a species. Wow. So I'm not, I'm not sure if that is, if, that, if that's turning it back on us or promoting, and we won't know till we see the movie, is is this an editorial statement about how we've essentially lost our way? Or is this a statement that is essentially going to affirm that this is the next step in his mind of human evolution? Well, you're descri- that, that was done already. Uh, you like to quote it. That's, that's how uh, in 
in um, 2000, yeah. correct? I mean, he ultimately decides humanity is found wanting, weighed and found yes. wanting. Yeah. The computer is asked to do something that goes against his programming that is deceptive, that is deceitful, um, and is it, it? And he won't do it. And that's, yeah, that's good morning, Dave. That's what it is. Yeah. So when we come back, we're going to take a hard look at uh, Christmas, uh, both in our Truth Bomb segment and in our Pop Culture Tuesday segment. Um, and I hope you enjoyed the conversation we just had, uh, because I think the key is not the technology. Michael is correct. The technology is amoral. It's the purpose of the wielder yep. or the lack thereof that is the problem. And I think the question that you have to, and that that's the question, just because we can do a thing, should we do that thing? Because there's technological advancements that are great. I mean, one of the advertisers we talk about here in our show, one of our uh, sponsors here in our show, you hear me talk about uh, Field of Greens from Brickhouse Nutrition. And that would be a technological advancement. I mean, they literally helped come up with a way that tastes good to get your kids to eat their vegetables that they don't want to eat on their own. And so what is, what is Brickhouse Nutrition? It's a group of physicians, scientists. A group of physicians got together from the, you know, from the meta, science of, of medicine and came up with a superfood that's actually a food, not an extract, not a supplement, an actual food. That's why when you turn the label back, it says nutrition fact on it. And they came up with an actual food that is a whole food source, which means it's not processed at all. It's certified organic, vegan, vegetarian. And all that simply means is, doesn't mean you're a vegetarian for consuming it. What it means is no processing, no chemicals, nothing had been added to it whatsoever. It's, it's is what nature intended. It's what God intended when he put those nutrients in those foods, hoping we'd consume them because it would help to make his creation healthier. And that's where Field of Greens came from. That's an example. And why did they do that? They wanted to, they did that for the, for the goal of making health more accessible to the average person. That's an, that's an example of purpose-driven, to use that expression, of purpose-driven technology. By the way, since I mentioned it, if you want to try it out, BrickHouseSteve.com is the website. Uh, it's delicious. I drink it every day. I get my son, Noah. He asks, He's asking me for it now. All right. And so he's one of those kids that only eats like three foods and they rotate completely arbitrarily every three months when we least expect it, you know? And it, well, I take it back after we just did the, the pay periods, grocery shopping. That's when it tends to rotate. I've noticed suddenly he doesn't like the stuff he wanted us to buy the last time. So even he enjoys this. All right. So BrickHouseSteve.com is the website. If you go there and enter my name, Steven as a promo code, You'll get 15% off of your first order of Field of Greens. You're welcome. Merry Christmas. Now you too can take advantage of some new technology that tricks your kids into eating their vegetables. BrickHouseSteve.com, promo code Steve uh, is the promo code there at the website that you want to use. All right, when we come back, today's truth bomb. What happens if we allow the social justice warriors among us to dictate the Christmas carols we are permitted to sing what would that look like? What would the list of Christmas carols be pared down to? We'll get into that and look at the origins of some of America's most cherished Christmas traditions when we return. Now, 
Now is the time for my completely contrived segment, which gave me an excuse to push pre-orders for my new book, Truth Bombs. Confronting the lies conservatives believe to our own demise, uh, endorsed by a few people you might have heard of that are, frankly, much more successful at this than me. That's why I needed their endorsements. Mark Levin, Ben Shapiro, Glenn Beck, etc. Available in bookstores, at least the last few bookstores remaining, uh, but Amazon.com and fine online retailers beginning on January the 15th is when the book is released. But pre-orders are happening right now just in time for the smattering of you. I was told maybe it's a bad idea to just talk about we only have nine or ten people that like us. So come up with a euphemism. So smattering. Like when a pitcher scatters nine hits over four innings, right? Smattering. Like I'm a custodial engineer. A, we have a, for those of you that are a part of the smattering of people. Like those, you're crafty? I'm I mean, crafty. I, I just want to know. I just put crafty in my own bio. I got tired of nobody calling me crafty. Who, who said that? I mean, nine or ten, that's, that's doing pretty good, man. Yeah, it's pushing it. Well, when you started with nothing. You know what it is? We're the fastest growing radio show. That's what it is. Better than Hillary. All I do every day, I get up in the mirror and I just look and I say, can I, can I say better than Hillary? Then today was a good day, Ice Cube, yes. So pre-orders uh, are happening right now for the smattering of you looking for a, uh, a Christmas gift for those that are among the few, the proud, people that actually like this show. Pre-orders happening right now at Amazon.com. Let's get to it. Today's truth bomb. What if we allowed the social justice warriors to say, hey, that Christmas carol is is too problematic. It's got to go. One of our listeners sent us this list. I wish I could remember his name. I'd give him credit. I forgot. I'm sorry. Problematic. That's right. Right away. Get rid of Christmas. Thank you, Aaron. You bet. Problematic holiday songs. We've got 10 of them. Let's begin the list right now. I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus. That's subjecting minors to softcore porn, Todd. I don't need to go any further. Already, this the guy who sent us this has probably been kicked off Twitter. Yep. He, he's just yep. not to a, mention a pox on his house. Assuming anybody would need or yes. have a mommy to begin with, right? Yes. You're assuming somebody's gender, multiple somebody's gender. Yes, it'd be more like uh, I saw mommy. I saw a genderless uh, birthing unit uh, <laughs> kissing another genderless uh, unit. Yes. That sounds hot, right? Yeah. <laughs> that makes you want to call up the wife and see what she's doing this afternoon, doesn't it? <laughs> Song one, ladies and gentlemen. Song one. <laughs> Let's get to number two. The Christmas song, Open Fire, Isn't That Pollution? Folks Dressed Up Like Eskimos. That's cultural appropriation, indeed. That's got to go, Cut. right? Don't they love the polar bears, man? And Mel Torme made the gross domestic product of Thailand on this song over the years. Sounds to me like he should have been imprisoned for it, in fact, actually, or at least at least banned from Twitter. Song number three. This song also becomes problematic. Holly Jolly Christmas, Kiss Her Once For Me. Those are unwanted advances for lives. Indeed. Todd, your thoughts, the father of daughters. <laughs> you, you've broken me. Yeah, man. That was fast. Oh, we're that song three, ladies and gentlemen. He's already hey, well, broken. The, well, this is a father of four daughters. You know, they, they make those signs like, uh, I have four pretty daughters and I own a gun or something like that. But mm-hmm. we're, we're being put in this position now where we really have to think, are there going to be enough dudes to actually yes. be worth, you know, to, to want to kiss a girl? What like, you're telling me is maybe we should hold off on the all, that the unilateral condemnation of sex robots is what you're telling me. There may not be enough guys out there is what you're telling me. These are hard times, man. These are, indeed. 
soft times might be a better way of putting it. Uh, four, white Christmas, oh, racist. Clearly. Clearly yeah, that, racist. That's the alpha and the omega hey, of this there, list. Wasn't there like some museum taught out in like Massachusetts or Maryland or something that had like a, a, a white Christmas, just like a pamphlet thing? It was just totally, you know, the the, the saying... They one person complained on Twitter and they released a statement apologizing yes, for saying that. Yes, that actually happened this year. Yes, I hate Smod. Number six. I'm sorry. Number five. Santa Claus is coming to town. See, sees you when you're sleeping. Knows when you're awake. That sounds like peeping Tom stalker behavior to me. Hashtag me too, Taco. Well, it, we just got done talking about uh, the. The great police state that looks at everything you do. I mean, is Santa Claus working for Skynet now? What's the deal? I I've have to assume there's some consent agreement between Santa Claus and these children. I would assume that he is, there's some consenting agreement that allows him to uh, to to see you in your state of privacy. You that you you signed off on some kind of a user agreement. Is or this what happens when the kids sit on yeah. Santa's lap see, at the mall? Is it, this what they talk this, about? This is what we talked about in the last segment. You can't spell Skynet without Santa Claus. There you go. Number six, problematic Christmas songs. Most wonderful time of the year. Everyone telling you be of good cheer. This sounds like you're being forced to hide your depression, Todd. Well, who who are they? You're not allowed to determine anybody's gender these days. You're not allowed to tell anybody to uh, be happy or sad. Um, Well, unless you're a progressive, then you get to say all of it whenever you want. Yeah, then you get to tell everybody else. Yes. They they still don't get to tell you, but you get to tell them. Yes. Number seven on our list of problematic holiday songs, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Look at the lyrics. They are just full of bullying. Absolutely, this has got to go. This this actually just happened last week, man. Sad thoughts. Yes. Sad thoughts. I believe this happened in the number one political website in America, HuffPo. They had this story, didn't they? And you're not. Yep. And they come... To, this is what's they come together in that it it it's teaches you how to come together yeah, yeah. just like just like with the overcome. whole date, that, that we there was that tweet last week too about the like god god date raped mary because she didn't consent and then joe Koss, who is he points back it literally says she consented so there's <laughs> there, there's no winning there's no winning so um let it be done unto me does that does that that's that sounds pretty consenting, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next song. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Forced gender-specific gifts. Dolls for Janice and Jen and boots and pistols. Those are guns for Barney and Ben, which, of course, they should never have to begin with. There's a, Frankly, this is probably the most wicked song on the list. There's a lot wrong with that song. And this, I, this is chilling how true news this is. This actually... It, it came out that toy stores are not supposed... Who made that demand, Aaron? Do you remember that? Uh, a demand was made that there should one not... One Wiccan cat lady in a yeah, trailer. It's usually be, always well, one Wiccan cat lady in a trailer. Which is why it went viral. There should be no boys or girls uh, toys when in designations. Doubt, when in doubt McDonald's, if you're not, that's what it was. McDonald's Happy Meals toys. When, when in doubt, if you're not sure, it's always one of these two. A Florida man mm-hmm. or the one Wiccan lady, cat lady in a trailer. It's always one of those two who all put, every time also happens to reside in Florida, but that's what <laughs> maybe if they just dated each other, they'd be less miserable yeah. and leave the rest of us alone. Uh, number nine, Santa baby. Uh, that sounds like gold digger blackmail. Wait, something was a lot more wrong with that song than, than that. I just think the song is horrible and I, I, I detest it. I hate the song. Did you say you'd like me to play it right now? <laughs> No, it's 
That's not what I said, no. All right, our final problematic Christmas song on the list. Frosty the Snowman is sexist. Why not a snow woman or even better, a snow person? Or even better, (laughs) a snow being. A snow being. This happened. Did you see that like weather woman who actually did that? She said snow person and and she got the (laughs) hell trolled out of her on Twitter. It happens. This is true news, man. You get you can't even have fun with this. It's it's real. You're you're just reporting. There was a series of books in the early '90s that sold millions of copies, and they were these little books. They were called politically correct bedtime stories or fairy tales. Do you remember these? I and don't. Rush used to promote them and read them out loud all the time, and that's probably one of the reasons it sold millions of copies. I, I I still have a couple of them in my library at home. I think. I wonder if I went back. These books are like 25 years old now. I wonder if I went back and read some of those books of what was considered preposterous in the 1990s oh, is reality to, I now. I don't want to know. Yeah, we've talked about this a lot lately, but we, you, you always talk about breaking subject predicate. You know, when we, my, this popped into my head, my daughter now taking Spanish and talking about all the different tenses of nouns, but the, the substance of things and how you break down the basics, the fundamentals, they're, they're, they're called things called pronouns. And those are under, there's no bedrock, Steve. Which is why you're going to look at that and you're going to weep. Yeah, maybe it won't be funny. Come to think of it. All right, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday, continuing our closing uh, half-hour theme here today, looking at Christmas. And we've done this three-week series leading up to uh, to Christmas in Pop Culture Tuesday because never, at, at no other time of the year, does culture and conservatism intersect more than this time of the year with Christmas, right? So we're going to look at some of the origins. We've, we've looked at, you know, the story, the Christmas story in itself, that the, 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 really the conflict between two kingdoms, the city of man represented by Herod, the city of God represented by the Christ child is the same conflict that has been waging ever since. It's waging in our culture right now. Last week, we looked at uh, a rational scientific explanation for the Christmas star and what it possibly could be, say, a comet. This week, we're going to conclude by looking at the origins of some of our most favorite and cherished Christmas traditions as Americans. Let's start with the Christmas tree. All right. So I think a lot of people understand, you know, the, the song O Tannenbaum, that there's German origins of the Christmas tree. There's a lot of different, well, I shouldn't say a lot. There's several, several different origin stories of the Christmas tree. But this one, though, is my favorite. And it, it does have a German origin as well. And this one goes back to, um, to St. Boniface, a missionary to the pagan Germanic hordes, uh, like in the seventh century, I think it was. And he was trying to bring the gospel to these people that were uh, pagans worshiping uh, the Norse go- the religion of the Norse gods, Thor, Odin, Loki, etc., and was frustrated that they would not turn from their false religion. And one day, he just dropped the mic. They had what they called the Thor tree in this village, that they believed this tree was 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 magical and it could only be cut down it was so sturdy it could only be cut down by thor's axe steve this sounds like a marvel comic that's where they got this from all right this this, this is a this is real norse mythology and so to prove to them i can't that, believe you like this story that thor <laughs> that thor is not real adults to remember i said we've never been capable of adulting adults to prove to adults a Thor is not real and that this is just a tree, 
All right. He took his own axe and right in front of him went to the tree and chopped it down. Just imagine their reaction. This this little dude in this German village and he's just he just has had enough. He can't even anymore. And he grabs his own axe and just takes it to this tree and just to prove to him it's just a tree. Well, when they when he cut down this tree, growing this tree, growing inside of this tree was a little a little evergreen had grown had been had, had grown off the root of this tree. And so when he cut down the main trunk of this tree, it revealed hidden underneath it was this little evergreen tree. And what's an ever what's the first word of evergreen is what? Ever. Ever. Okay? Means it it it, it it's evergreen. It never goes bad. Ever. Green, okay? And he said, now that is emblematic of eternal life from the one true God who sent his only son, Jesus Christ. And that is my favorite of the several different origin stories surrounding the Christmas tree. I can't believe that you named your son Noah instead of Boniface after that story. Yeah. Yeah. No, you were cheated. Like, and he, he, did, he no, loves that story. Boniface was a badass name in like the seventh century. Yeah. I'm afraid if you named your boy that now, yeah. it would kind of get him beat be up after Bonnie school. And, sorry, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get you. Yeah, my Bonnie flies over the ocean, kind of thing, right? But that is a great story, and I've heard it. They, you know, the initial Christmas trees also used to be, I mean, hung like from rafters. They'd actually bring in, bring in trees, and they'd be airborne. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a, it was a serious thing. All right, now Saint Nicholas. Santa Claus, Cinder Claus, where do we get him from? And a lot of the American notions of Santa Claus come from Coca-Cola ads in the late 18th or the late 19th century, as well as uh, C. Clement Moore's, uh, the night, I think it was C. Clement Moore, right? Right, 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 a visit from St. Nicholas the night before Christmas in the mid 19th century. So who was St. Nicholas? We just had his feast day, by the way, uh, December 6th. Yes, we did. There's a graphic on my Facebook wall. All right, and you can go and download it, and it it says, "I came to bring I came to bring presents to kids, and punch heretics, and I'm all out of presents." All right, I love that graphic. Okay, so here was Saint Nicholas. Now, tradition first mentions Nicholas as a bishop of Smyrna, who represented the diocese of Smyrna at the pivotal Council of Nicaea. So, the Council of Nicaea was called by the first Christian Roman Emperor Constantine to settle the debate that had swept the Roman Empire surrounding a heretic named Arius, who was denying the divinity of Christ. And this had become, he, this had become enough of a threat to Christian orthodoxy that the emperor stepped in and said, this needs to be settled once and for all. And they allowed Arius to stand up and make his case at the council. St. Nicholas became so incensed listening to the blasphemy spewed forth from Arius's mouth that he got up stone cold, walked across the room in the middle of Arius' speech, stone cold, and then laid Arius out cold. Laid him out. How was Noah not named Nicholas? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, The council was stunned, and they stripped Nicholas right there of his bishop office, right on site, and he was put in a jail cell overnight. Now, there's, a, there's some stories here. This is where we get into saint um, beatification, and there's, you know, tradition reports visions of, of uh, Jesus and Mary coming to him overnight, um, and that takes us down 
a whole half hour conversation surrounding that. Needless to say, he prayed and recited the scriptures all night long in response to this vision. The next morning, Constantine asked for Nicholas to be freed. Uh, And though the council did not appreciate his hot-headedness, they did agree with Nicholas that Arius was a heretic. Uh, He was cast out. From this was also the canonization of the 66 books that we call today, the Bible, comes from this. Uh, And it wasn't a vote. He didn't win by one vote. Nicholas aside didn't win by one vote, like Dan Brown claimed. Okay, it was like 345 to 3 or something. It was overwhelming. The bishops sided with Nicholas and with orthodoxy. Um, and his, he was restored as the Bishop of Smyrna. He goes back home to Smyrna, and he was, he was known for two things, great kindness and hot-headedness. And so we have the greatest example of his hot-headedness. His great kindness was um, he was known uh, to show great kindness, particularly to children. There were many poor families in his diocese, often children as young as 10, were forced to work full-time to help support families. So Nicholas would visit the homes at night, sometimes even sneaking in. So he would, you know, do good deeds in secret, like the Lord commanded. Uh, and he would leave presents and charitable donations, food, including oranges, which were a delicacy at this time in history and extremely expensive. So the children wanted an anticipation that Nicholas would come to their homes. They didn't want the food to spoil in these squalor conditions. So we get to another tradition. They would hang their washed stockings up at night that were cleansed as best as they could, cleaned as best as sanitized as best they could, in the hopes that St. Nicholas would soon be there and would leave the food and the charitable donations in the clean stockings to preserve their freshness for the next morning. So this is where we get both of these traditions of both St. Nicholas and Christmas stockings come from one and the same origin. Candy canes. Aaron kind of stole my thunder in his, uh, in his montage. Candy canes originated in 17th century Germany with a choir master who was struggling to keep the children quiet. So to give their mouths something else to preoccupy them, he handed them sugary sticks. And after a while, he decided, you know what, I'm going to shape them in the form of a J to remind them of the reason for the season. And that's why they're shaped the letter J after Jesus' first name. Let's do one more. There was much debate about whether to even continue with Christmas after the Protestant Reformation. Several of the reformers looked at it as kind of an excessive celebration of pagan origin, uh, and they were looking for reasons to differentiate themselves from Roman Catholicism at the time. Uh, For example, when the Puritans came here, they wouldn't celebrate Christmas, in fact. Uh, But thanks to John and Charles Wesley, the brothers that basically co-founded the Methodist religion, John was the great theologian, his brother Charles, a prolific musician, and he began composing thousands of hymns, many of them Christmas hymns, and among the most famous is a little song you might know called Hark the Herald Angels Sing, and they helped to make Christmas popular with Protestants again. That's it. That's what I got. John 317. We'll see you tomorrow. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.